Go with me if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're still kind of hung up in this verse number 6. We've been talking for a few weeks now on being the proof, being the proof. In other words, if you want to say it, like, I, I, I don't know, you ever looked at Christians and they say, I believe in Jesus, and you just want to say these two words, prove it? Like, show me? Like, don't tell me? You ever had somebody saying, I love you, and you just want to say, prove it? Don't just say it, show me. Hey, I'll be there for you, prove it. Hey, I'll, I'll go through you with it, through anything, prove it. Words are easy, right? It's easy to stand up and say something. It's, it's a whole lot different than the, the, to live that than it is to speak that. And that's one thing that we, we really want to emphasize here. If God allows us to be what the, the, the modern day would call a church, we want to emphasize being the original version that God created you to be, not becoming a duplicate of what everybody else is. To be uh, somebody that's real and somebody that's authentic, not robotic. To have a faith that doesn't care. Now, I'm not saying when we say doesn't care what anybody thinks, we're not saying that we're mean and arrogant and this. It just means I'm not going to be hindered. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to be dictated by what somebody else's belief is. I'm going to have my own. And if my own tells me to step out on water and you want to stay in the boat, then it's okay. Stay in the boat. That takes faith. Jesus said, get in the boat to go to the other side. And if you got the faith to believe Jesus that the boat's going to make it to the other side, stay in the boat. But if you got the faith like Peter that says, I know he said get in the boat, but I want to get on the water because that's where Jesus is at. I'm going to be on the water. Then, then have faith to get out of the boat and know that there's no less faith in the boat than out of the boat. That everybody's still acting in the faith that they have, but some actions are different than others because the callings are different and the story is different and the script for our lives is not the same. The uh, foundation of our life is the same. I mean, no salvation outside of Jesus. No hope outside of God's word. We're looking forward and believing in the promises of God. Foundation's the same, but it's lived out differently. Would you agree? I, I mean, our lives could not, if we traded spaces, you went to my home, raised my kids. I went to your home and raised your kids. I promise you it would not be the same environment. Even though we're in it, it would be totally different. Even if we took our families and did a total family swap and took all my kids into your home, you took all your kids into my home, it would be different because the way we live in those homes is set up differently. Do you understand? I think we're living in an age to where we're saying, look like me. And I think we need to get back to the age where we say, just look like Jesus. Just be what God has called you to be. Some days Jesus is breaking bread. The other days he's healing broken bones. Some days he's walking on water. The other days he's sitting by a campfire. He's grilling out on a beach. At some point, we got to understand that even the life and ministry of Christ did not have a script, and we need to step into the call of God instead of into the routine of life. And so let's look at this. We're saying prove it, and we've kind of gone through this. We, we prove who we are and what we believe by, number one, we've talked about our consistencies and adversity and, and trials and tribulations, different things. Number two, we talked about our purity, being real from the inside out. Last week, we talked about our understanding, and that's what verse six says. If you're in 2 Corinthians, it says this. Uh, he, we, we prove ourselves by our purity, by our understanding, and then the third one that's in this list is our what? patience. Now, let, let me tell you this. This is normally a, a area of life that most people struggle, if not all. There, can we admit this? How many of you say you're very patient in certain areas of your life, but other areas of your life you have impatience? Anybody like that? I mean, some of you can be very patient in traffic, but when it comes to being patient with your children getting ready to leave, there is no patience or nighttime ritual getting them ready for bed. There is little patience. We, we have a weak area of patience in most of our lives. If if you agree, say yes. All right. Now, how many of you are like me? And it's like, I've got multiple dysfunction when it comes to patience. There's multiple areas of my life that, that, that really patient needs to be strengthened. And I've heard preachers preach this based on James chapter number one, and we'll go there in just a second, but they'll say this statement, don't ask God for patience because it only comes through trial and tribulation. And so when you're praying for patience, you're going to get tested. And, and I'm going to say this, that is a total misrepresentation of scripture. Let, let's just put it this way. You're going to go through trial. You're going to go through tribulation. God is going to teach you patience because let's be honest, absent patience, your relationships are hindered with him and with others. Matter of fact, when 1 Corinthians 13 starts defining love, the very first descriptor of love is love is patient, followed by kind. We'll talk about that next week. Love is patient. And so I, I, I kind of I kind of wrote this list. Well, let's, let's write this real quick. Why do we need to be patient? What do we need to be patient for? Number one, can we, can we just write it? We need to be patient while God does the work in our life. 
Now, would you agree with me that a lot of the work that God is doing in our lives, we cannot see? You know, I like that. His grace will never run out. There is an ocean where our shame is drowned. That is my favorite line in a a modern song right now. There's an ocean of love where shame is drowned. Isn't that what the the book of 1 John teaches us? That love covers a multitude of sins. Love drives out fear. There is a place where God wants to bury your sins, and that is in the depths of his sea of forgetfulness. He wants to take the shame off of you. The cross never screamed shame on you. The cross said, put the shame on Jesus so the shame could be off of you. And because he dealt with shame and sorrow, you can walk in freedom and in peace. And there needs to be a time in our lives that we realize that God is working in areas and doing things in a way that we cannot see and we must have patience to wait for him. I'm gonna give you several scriptures today. All right, so write these down, ready? Um, uh, uh, Psalm 37, verses seven through nine. We're gonna go there in just a second. Followed by Ecclesiastes 7, verse eight. But look at this if you would. In Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9, it says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now, that's hard for me. Then the next two words are equally as difficult. Don't worry. But it goes deeper about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Then it goes to another issue that I have in life. Stop being, say it, angry. Now, let's be honest. The number one person I get angry at is me. Anybody else get mad at yourself very easy? All right, now, um, I can easily get mad at others too. All right, I can, I can leave, you know what that, a lot of times when we're not settled within ourselves, we'll defer that anger. Deferring that anger means we'll, we'll point it towards somewhere else. Um, somebody that's not dealing with sin will want to deal with everybody else's sin. Somebody that's not dealing with fear will want to be in everybody else's fear. Matter of fact, I grabbed somebody going through a difficult season and I grabbed them and said, be careful that you're not finding your healing in trying to be a vigilante for Jesus right now. You're going through a war, a hell on earth. And by the way, if you don't know who a vigilante is, the number one vigilante that comes to mind is who? No, Batman. (laughs) Batman, am I right? What was Batman? Somebody talk to me. Y'all were were thinking villain, that's Satan, yes, whoever said that. A vigilante is somebody who wants to fight crime but is not legally authorized to do so. Batman, all right, you got it? Can I tell you this? There are no Batmans in the kingdom. There's no vigilante, meaning I act on my own. And what happens sometimes is I'm going through such deep pain, I don't want to deal with my pain, so I try to deal with everybody else's. Try to help heal everybody else's. Is it bad to care about the needs of others? No, but it does not help to care about the needs of others while ignoring the needs in your own heart. It does not help to preach faith when you're not building faith. It does not help to preach obedience when you're not living in obedience. At some point, we've got to say, I've got to be so that I can help. I've got to let Christ make me something so that I can, through Christ, help other people realize that he's the Savior, not me. Say that with me. He's the Savior, not me. Again, he's the Savior, not me. Anytime you try to be the Savior, the cross you carry is going to knock you down too. Does that make sense? All right, let's, let's take it deeper. He's Lord, not I. Say that with me. He's Lord, not I. In other words, I can't dictate your life. Now, have you ever had the moment that you saw somebody doing things that were so crazy and, and you just knew that it was going to hurt them, you knew it was a bad decision, and you just wanted to walk up and, 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 and hug them with your hands only on each shoulder and give them a good shaking and say, what are you thinking? How many of you have ever been there? He's Lord, not I, right? And in that moment, I'm trying to take control. In that moment, my mind wants to do this. In my moment, isn't it amazing? I I found this to be true. I I can so easily figure out everybody else's life but my own. I can easily look at somebody else's through the window shopping of not knowing their whole story and say, I know what they need. You know what that happens? It's we're deferring ourselves. And guess what? You're going to get angry at others when there is a hostility inside you that you haven't allowed Jesus to deal with. So I got to be patient that God's doing the work, right? I got to be patient that God's, God's, God's going to do things that I can't understand. And my goal in my life is to get to Jesus. My goal in your life is to point you to Jesus. I never need to be the star of the show, neither do you. We need to make sure that only Christ is what we're teaching to lean on. Because if they lean on us, they're going to fall. If they lean on him, he never falls, right? He never fails. 
I got to only not be patient for him to do the work. I, I wrote this down in my life. I got to be patient for him to finish the work. Paul said he that started the work will continue it. He will finish it on the day that Jesus Christ returns. Look at Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8 if you would. Finishing is better than starting. If you don't believe that, run a 5K. It's a whole lot better to cross the line at the end than to cross the line at the beginning. Anybody agree with that? Say amen. Yeah. It's a whole lot better to finish the workout than to begin the workout. How many of you have the pre-workout dilemma? You know what the pre-workout dilemma is? Am I going to work out? Do I really want to do this? You know, how many of you have trained your brain to get past it because you understand the benefit of the workout? How many of you say, yes, that's me? All right, all the skinny people got their hands in the air, right? Like that's it. All the unhealthy people, all the people that are healthy with the weight that they have, their hands are in the air. The rest of us are the dilemma people, right? You know, it's like, um, I, man, do I really want to do this? Jordan gave me a quote one time way back when, when we were going to the gym together before children. It was possible. Um, we were going to the gym together every night around midnight, and we'd, we'd hang out at the gym till one or two o'clock. And I remember sitting there on the couch one night saying, I really don't want to go run tonight. And she looked at me and said this, nobody has ever regretted going to the gym and actually doing the run, but there's a lot of regret in the people that never went. I'm like, get in the car. <laughs> you know, like, get in the car. It's real, right? Hey, can I tell you this? Nobody is going to stand before God with regret for living their life for him. But many will stand before God with total regret for having not lived their life. All right? I, I once heard a pastor say this, a preacher say this, and I want you to get it in your mind. Good habits are hard to form, but easy to live with. Bad habits are easy to form, but hard to live with. And at some point, we got to realize that we're not just trusting God to do the work. We're actually going to trust God to finish the work. And Ecclesiastes says it's better to finish than start. And then it says this next one. Patience is better than pride. Now, what does that mean? You're sitting there and it's like, well, I'm not an arrogant person. Well, um, sometimes arrogance doesn't come in the form of you and I thinking we're better or thinking we're the best. It comes in the form of sometimes thinking that it's up to us, that nobody can do it like us, and that if we don't, it won't get done. Does that make sense? Now, we're not talking about deferring or ignoring responsibility. If you've committed, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But the reality is that sometimes we think that if we're not doing everything, then it won't get done or it won't get done to the level of which we want it done. And you know what that is? That is not waiting on God. I, I'll tell you right now, we oftentimes don't allow God to do the work or we don't allow him to finish the work that he wants to do before we're able to get started with the calling that he has on our lives. Can I say this? You cannot stand on a platform that has not been built. Put that in your notes. You cannot stand on a platform that has not been built. I stand on a stage today that at some point had to be constructed. Walls had to be built. Trusses had to be set. They had to be supported. They had to be floored. Things had to be there. It had to be elevated. Without that being built, there's no platform to stand on. I know that's a simple analogy, but let's talk about in your life. Some of your testimonies will not be a testimony until you allow God to finish the trial, the test, the tribulation that you're in. And some people are trying to proclaim Proclaim God in pain instead of proclaiming God in promise. And we're wanting to be there and we're wanting to get there and we're wanting to do something. And we're like, why is God delaying me? Because he's still building the stage that you're going to stand on. And at some point we got to say, okay, God, when you're ready, I'm ready. You say, well, what do I do? I got this itch to preach. Then start writing your outline. Start getting the sermons together. Well, I'll get them get together when it's time. No, 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 no. God will always, always, always lead you first and then tell you how to get others to follow. He will take you to places first and then bring others with you. I love the story of Moses. Even though he was running for his life as a fugitive, God took him through the wilderness that he would need to lead millions through. And for 40 years, he shepherded sheep and cattle in an area that one day he would lead generations through. I'm telling you right now, you might be in the midst of a storm. Let God finish the work. Don't bail out. Galatians 6, 9 is one of those that says that we will reap a harvest if we do not quit. But can I tell you this? 
There's so many other verses in the Bible that are talking about, it's not just about quitting. Sometimes it's about try not to get ahead of where God has you and where you are. You know, one thing that I've learned, and uh, it's very true in music. Um, we at our church have a, a, a system, a process that we try to go through to get people involved in music. And one of those things is every fifth Sunday, I'll just throw it out there, we open the stage for people to come sing their favorite song. You know what I've started calling that? Bring your belt song. Not your belt like you wear around your waist, but the belt song that you were singing in the shower when nobody's around and you are singing as loud as you possibly can that you're jamming in your car when nobody's listening and belt it. Just let it out. So if anybody's interested in playing an instrument, doing that, go there. Then what we do is we say, okay, we want to spread you out. We want you to sing without microphones for a while. We want you to be at practice at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. And you say, well, why do you do that? Because you're going to find out very quickly who wants a spotlight and who wants to worship. You're going to find out very quickly who's in it and consistent and who's got the, the desire to make God known or who has the desire to be seen. Because there's a lot of people that get mad at us and expect to immediately be soloist the first time they get on a team. You say, well, why do you do that? Because Satan was a song leader too and got the song ahead of the worship and got kicked out of heaven because pride set in and he became about him instead of being about Jesus and God help us. We will not be us on stage. We will be about him. Does that make sense? There's a process. And so we look at that and we're saying, hey, build that. And we're seeing, have y'all noticed the girls that never get mics that stand on the back of the stage? You ever had to wonder why they're there? And every now and then we pull them out. Every now and then we push them out. And what we're really trying to grow is we're trying to grow our replacements. I literally told our staff this year, this is the year to become replaceable. Not that you're going to quit, but that if you go down, you've got leaders behind you ready to go. This is the year that you build yourself. And, and, and not so that you're seen, so that God's seen. Because I'm going to tell you this now. If the ministry is built around Jesus, it'll be a ministry when we're gone. If it's built around us, it's in the moment we're down and out. Guess what happens to the ministry? It's gone. And so sometimes we got to work on some things. Sometimes we got to be able to find keys and sometimes we got to be able to find the note. Now there's people we train and, and it's happened. Joe, cue this up if you don't mind. This piano over here, the far one, we'll, we'll go give me voice lessons. And you know what voice lessons will sound like? Hit that note. Hit that note. Hit that note. And they're like, let's sing a song. No, hit that note. You say, why? Because if you can't hit that note, you're going to be off on every other one. Find the note. Train the brain to be able to be in tune with the notes being played. A lot of people want to be the singer that can run the runs with their voices. Tin belt can bring crowds to their feet and people to their knees. You know what? You can never be that singer without being able to find a note. And so when you get in there and you say, find the note, 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 it's frustrating, it's hard. But your mind has what we call muscle memory. Responsive subconscious neurons that, that form and make bridges in there to where it becomes nature. I remember my brother-in-law taking me to a shooting range and, and we're sitting there and he's like, okay, shoot the gun. And so I take my handgun and I shoot the target. Well, I shoot at the target. I don't hit the target. Um, but then we, we work on it. We work on it. We work on it. And he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me if you ever have a gun on your side, is the bullet going to be in the chamber or not in the chamber? Well, I probably won't carry it in the chamber. I'm more Barney Five than Andy Griffith, so I'm scared I'd shoot myself. So probably out of the chamber. He said, then get one out of the chamber. Take it out of the chamber. Unload the gun. Where are you going to keep the gun? How's this going to be? How's it going to be? Put the gun where you're going to have it. I want you to pull the gun. I want you to pull the gun. I want you to chamber the gun. I want you to aim. I want you to shoot. Go. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, what are you doing? He's saying, your body has to be trained because one millisecond, one movement wrong. You're shooting yourself, shooting the wrong person. You messed up. Does that make sense? Now, I, I'm not here to have a political debate over guns. But what he was telling me is, it's got to be natural or you're going to make mistakes. You know what I believe in our faith is we want miracle faith. God, I'd love to see people healed. Use me. I'd love to, I'd love to walk on water. Use me. I'd love to see mountains moved. I'd love to see seas parted. God, use me because we want to be 
used by God in a powerful way. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Paying for somebody's gas at the gas pump is more powerful than seeing somebody's leg built. And we want God to use me. And a lot of times if we're not careful, we want to be used so that people will say, mmm, look at that. Mmm, go to that church. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes God's saying, can you just hit the note? Can, I mean, can you just pray consistently? Hit the note. Can you just read my word on a regular basis? Hit the note. Can you just get in tune with me? Can you hear my melody in the wind? Can you hear my presence in the birds? Can you see my hand in the trees waving as the wind hits them, knowing that when the Holy Spirit rushes through, it makes a movement too? Can you hit the note and know? Can you be still and know that I'm God? And we're saying, give me the stage. And the truth is, this trial will be the stage. This moment will become it. We got to have patience to let God finish the work. Number three thing that I said we got to do is we not only need to have patience for him to do the work, finish the work, but to also use the work. I mean, sometimes it's like, God, I, uh, I need this out of my life. God gets it out of your life. You know why God gets it out of your life? Because number one, he cares about the soul you have. He cares about the character you have. He cares about who you are, but he also cares about other people that you're going to come in contact with too. And I've said it, if he's pulled you out of a pit, you better believe he expects you to drop a rope for the next person to get out. He expects you to become somebody that God can use. I literally got removed from a board at one point of our ministry because they said to me, you are too open and honest with what you've done and what you've been through. And we do not want the people in the mission field to hear it because they may turn their ears off. It's literally the reasoning. And in my mind, I thought somebody in the Philippines, somebody in, in Jamaica, somebody in the other parts of the world needs to hear it because they're just like me. And they need to know that God does restore. God does heal. God does raise you up. Somebody needs to hear in the room. It ain't over. There ain't nothing you can do. You're in a boxing match with God and you cannot KO him. You cannot knock him out. And he will not let the enemy get in the ring and knock you out either. If you got knocked down, you will get up again. And God will use you in a powerful way that your story isn't your story anyway. It's his story. And the more he can use and the more he can save and the more he can renew and the more he can restore, the more glory can be seen. Some of you need to stop asking God to use you to do miracles and realize you are one and everything you've been through and every attack Satan's had against you was meant to take you down and take you out and to keep the message of God from ever hitting your lips. But there you are, standing strong, sitting strong, a powerful example of God's power and presence maybe through physical illness, maybe through emotional illness, maybe through mental struggle, but Satan tried and failed. He crucified, yet there was still resurrection in you. And there needs to be a moment you say, it's not about me. It's about making him known. I have no reason to have pride to keep my mouth shut. I have no reason to be embarrassed by what you think of our story. I have no reason to be scared of what you ordained to be allowed in my life. God has been good to me. And the redeemed of the Lord need to say so. They need to let it be known. Let God use it. Let him do something through your life. Come out of hiding. It's not over. You say, but everybody, here's the good news. Everybody will not be sitting on the judgment seat of God. Only him. And all that matters is what he thinks and says. And at some point of our lives, it's got to be, okay, God, use this. Some of you in here have families with disabilities, diagnoses that are scary, Things that are going a little bit haywire. And if you're not careful, you start looking at other people's lives and you start wondering, man, what would it be like to have normal health in our home? What would it be like to have their type money? What would it be like to have their type opportunity? Stop it. Look at where you are and say, God, you can use me from this because there's others out there that need it from this. One of our moms of a, a, a child that is, God is doing great things through. We've seen him get his walker and be able to take steps. We've actually starting to hear words come out of his mouth. And um, it, it's really cool to watch. And I'm just going to say, God touched Flynn's life. How many of you would agree with that? You know, Flynn in our church and what an amazing thing, huge encouragement. Paul and Angie are the parents of Flynn. I know they're here. I'm trying not to make eye contact. The, um, the thing I know is that's not difficult. I, 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 I don't know their struggle. I don't live exactly their struggle. 
but they never let it keep them from helping with Jessica and Keisha and others as they decorate for events. Am I right, Jessica? Am I right? Well, they're right in front of Jessica. I made eye contact. They would sit there today, right? And then two weeks ago, Flynn and Angie and Corey took our stage and said, we're going to start a Bible study for parents with special needs. You know what that is? That's looking Satan straight in the face and saying, you will not win. You will not silence. And we will allow God to use the things in our lives that we wish were different to reach the people in our lives who need different too. 93% of families with a disabled child cannot go to church anywhere because nothing's offered for their child. Are y'all with me? 93%. I mean, one out of, out of 39 boys has autism now. There's 7.8 billion people in the world. Do the math. That's just one area. Cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, and, and, and all these other things that are going on. ADHD, right? Different things that they're, they're going through. And a lot of people, they look and because they don't understand what they're going through, they get nervous and they say some stupid stuff sometimes and, and they try to be healing. But you know what? Nobody, nobody can lead like somebody who's lived that. Can I say this? Write it in your notes. If I've lived it, I can lead it. If I've lived it, I can lead it. Say it with me. If I've lived it, I can lead it. If I'm living it, I can still lead it. Say it with me. If I'm living it, I can still lead it. You say, no, you need to be ahead in your faith. I promise you this now. The most ineffective pastor that will ever exist on the face of the planet is one that thinks they are somewhere and not where they need to be. We lead better through what we're living than what we know. It's like this. I am learning things about Jesus on a daily basis. I am seeing and experiencing him on a daily basis. I am not perfect, neither are you. But the things I'm learning about Christ, I want to teach you. I want to show you. And the one thing I struggle with in my walk is my patience. And so I don't come up here and say, let me teach patience because I'm an expert. No, I'm living this. I'm learning this. I want to lead this because it holds me accountable to it. And I know this. Some people say, well, once this is done in my life, once this is out of my life, once this is over, then I can. No, right here, right now, say, God, use me in this season with these things to reach other people. I, uh, I wrote this down. I want God to use the work Number one, in my life. And number two, in the lives of other people. I got to trust this. Listen, that God's not only doing a work in my life, God's doing a, lot, a work in the lives of other people too. You know what that does? It makes me more patient with them in their journey. Not everybody's in the same level or place of life. You know, um, I'm so tired of the church thinking that Matthew 18 is a principle of how we kick people out. You know, we get to that, and Jordan and I have been in deep conversation with that. Some of the things we're going through as a church right now that we see people going through. How many of you have been raised in these denominations and religions that we're, if somebody messes up in what we consider a major mess up, they get brought before the church, have to tell the entire church what they did for repentance to be made? How many of you have seen that? All right, that, that, you know what I call that? A modern-day crucifixion. And it doesn't need to happen. That is not God's method. I literally had a guy come in to church just a couple months ago, and say, I need to stand in front of the church and apologize. Why? I was high last week and slept through the service. I said, brother, did you get that right with God? Yes. Okay, so you settled it with God. Yes, you were not taking that stage because you don't have to. You owe them nothing. You don't have to apologize or seek their forgiveness. The truth is, if you're seeking the forgiveness of others, do, do you need to make right the wrongs and try to ask for forgiveness for the people you've hurt? Yes, but their forgiveness should not set you free. It's the name of Jesus Christ and the promise he's given that should set you free. Their forgiveness does not wipe you as white as snow. It's his blood. It, it, it is not, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Should you say, I'm sorry when you do something wrong? Come on. 
Yes. But is the result of what you're going to be able to do after the I'm sorry based on the person? No, it's based on the grace of God and mercy of God. And by the way, that mercy renews every single day. So get up and get going. Get it right and get moving on. You're not standing on the stage today because Satan will try to use it against you. Somebody will grab a stone. And the people that grab stones are the people. We learned that in the Jesus story, didn't we? Oh, if you don't have sin, you throw the first one. And what happened? No rocks flew that day. You know what? The only thing that makes you want to grab the stone is what you've got buried in you. And if you would deal with what's buried in you, I guarantee you, you'd have grace and patience for the people God's doing a work in. And so when Matthew 18 says, treat them like a Gentile, it doesn't mean that you get rid of them. It simply is interpreted that you don't give great trust. You don't give them great responsibility. You don't give them great standings. They're not your advisors in life. You are nice. You are kind. You are loving. You're compassionate. You're tender. You're forgiving, but you don't use that person as a platform and stage in your life. If you got it, say got it. It doesn't mean you kick them out. I'm going to say this and I want you I want you to grab hold of it. Any sinner is able to walk through that door and welcome to walk through that door. No matter what the sin, when the sin, or where the sin, it does not matter. You say, but I know what they've done. Hey, by the grace of God, we don't know what you've done. And let's keep it that way, under the grace of God and believing that God can do a work in anybody's life. Anybody's life. And God will finish that work. Aren't you thankful? I mean, 70 plus percent of us would not be worthy to step in the doors today. Truth is 100%, but the other 30 might not know it yet. Because in God, that little white lie and that secret you're keeping is just as bad as the murder that somebody else has committed. You know, John Rainbolt sent me a graph one day, and it, and it had this, like my fingers. Y'all seen these bar graphs? Where it says, you know, hey, this is how much, and this is how much, and this is how much. And underneath it, it had different sins. And it said the way that we rank and view sin. That the sin of stealing is not as bad as the sin of murder. It's bad, but not as bad. And then it said God's view of sin. And it had the graph just being looked down on from above. And all it was was squares. All equal in the same. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful illustration of the justice of God. That all we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They may have hurt you, but they deserve the same restoration and grace of God that you deserve. And by the way, what we give, that's the way we're judged. By the way that we forgive, that's the way we're forgiven. Isn't that what the Bible says? And so as we do those things and I keep that conscience, guess what it makes me? The result is patience. I can have patience and realize that even the frustrating people, God still wants to work on, still wants to use. I always get scared when I make an eye contact when I talk about like frustrating people because, you know, see, I looked at Phil. I'm not saying you're frustrating. All right, here we go. Ready? Let's move. How do we gain patience? Ready? Write these down. Let me give you four T's. How do we gain it? Through testing, trials, tribulations, this is one a lot we leave off, ready? And temptation. How do we gain patience? Testing, trials, tribulation, and temptation. Let's define them quickly, ready? A trial is something like a, a life event. Um, can we, uh, would you agree that a, that would be, you go to the doctor and they say, hey, we see something that's abnormal on your testing. A circumstance that's out of control that can usher in fear, anxiety, stress, and other things, or can make it to where you're fully leaning on God and you're surrendering to him. And as a result, your patience is growing and your faith is growing. Matter of fact, let's go to James chapter number one. Let's look at this real quick. And in James chapter number one, we find this actually, um, let's look at verses one through three. James one, verses one through three. In the first verse, he's saying, hey, I'm just saying hi. This is a greeting. Look at verse number two and let's jump in. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
goes on in the next verse and says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, your patience has a chance to grow. In the next verse, it goes on and says, let it grow. But understand this, it's talking about as we go through life and as we go through our walk, sometimes we're going to get into circumstances that are beyond our control. That's a trial. A test is sometimes when God is going to say, where is your loyalty? Where is your strength? You, you, what, what, he's not going to tempt you with evil, but he's going to give you something to say, hey, will you do the right thing? Do the right thing. How many of you got it? Trials and tests are different. Tribulation is oftentimes persecution because of what you believe. A hardship created because of your faith. I'm going to stand on this truth, and now you're talked about. I'm going to stand on God's word, and, and if we're in other countries, 39 countries right now that are killing Christians, Jesus Christ. If we're in one of those, we may lose our life. America could quickly become one of those. It's not right now. Let's thank God for that. Let's not waste the moment. But as we're standing here, tribulations when we are attacked because of what we believe. How many of you got it? All right. And then temptation. In that same chapter, when it's dealing with our faith and being tested, in, in chapter number five, actually, of that same book, sorry, we find this in verse number seven. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains to fall in the, it, it rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for a valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient and take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. You know what the Bible's actually saying? Even in, in these passages, it goes on and it says, don't let anybody say when they're tempted that they're being tempted of God. They're being tempted by their own desires, which drive them away. So can I tell you this right now? The Bible says there's a, a crown of righteousness, a crown of life that's waiting for the people that endure in temptation. You know what that is? It's Satan knows your weaknesses. We expose them and guess what he does? He comes after them. A temptation is an enemy attack against your life. And the enemy is not people, it's spiritual. But when I'm going through testings and I'm going through trials and I'm going through tribulations and I'm going through temptations, I have a chance to let patience grow in me as we endure, endure. Enduring means I stay consistent throughout. I finish what God has started. I don't give up, give in, or give out. How many of you understand it? Say, got it. So we gain patience by going through difficult things. We gain patience by being tempted in different ways. How else do we gain it? Ready? Through practice and intentional effort. I mean, let, let's be honest. Um, you and I, how many of you had a person in your life that you had to be intentional with when it came to holding your tongue? Come on now, talk to me. Sometimes that patience is, okay. Uh, how many of you remember the little blue engine that could? You ever been like that? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Don't say anything mean. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Don't say what you want to say. I think I can, I think I can. God help me. How many of you in some conversations are talking to God more than you're talking to the other person? Uh, can I say this? We are not naturally patient people. If you don't believe that, have a baby. In God's way, have a baby. Adopt a baby. Bring in any child. Or get married to a man. And you're going to learn that as you're raising somebody, you have to be patient with them. Am I right? I was sitting there. I went to a ball game uh, to watch uh, my nephew play his last senior game at his home court Friday night. That's why I missed the men's and ladies meeting, which I heard was really awesome. Um, but as I was sitting there, some people came up to me from my dad's old church. And they said, do you remember the time this happened? And without thinking, I was like, I don't, I don't at all. And I'm so sorry, I don't remember conversations I had yesterday. It's literal truth. Um, like sometimes my wife will come to me and say, Josh, we talked about this. And in my mind, it's like, no, we didn't. You know, and, and I, I didn't use that analogy. I just simply said, I can have a conversation with somebody on my staff that's very important. If I don't write it down or put it in my calendar, I won't remember it. And somebody I did not even know, two bleachers up said, that's a man thing, not a you thing. It's <laughs> literally what they said. And so I, I have learned this. My son, my daughters, and my, my daughter and my two sons did not come out patient. They come out with an expectation of when they want it, they get it. They want it. And they want it now. 
They start it before they even have a, a vocal language. What is the language of a baby? Crying. And what happens? They want to be held. What happens? They cry. Diaper dirty. What happens? Hungry. Cry. Is that a bad thing? No, it's just a natural thing. Now, I'm not, please, can I tell you this? I think sometimes we hear sermons and we go to the extremes. Please do not try to teach your infant patience by not responding to the cry. You know what that is? That's messing with their cognitive development. That's messing with their relational development. You got it? Say got it. I don't want to hear anybody saying, I just let them cry until they realize I... No, no. If it's an infant, they, they, they have no other way of expressing their needs, all right? Does that make sense? But when they turn two and four, come on now. Yeah. Like, I want it and I want it now. You are not J.G. Wetworth. <laughs> Does that make sense? You are not. That's not the way it works. And if you're young, you have no clue who I'm talking about. <laughs> It's my money and I want it. Say it. Yeah. yeah. Is that the way life works? Hey, if it actually does happen that way, let's not forget the prodigal. If everything you deserve or is coming to you right now, you might waste it. And so understand that patience is something that we are not born with. It has to be taught. It has to be practiced and it has to be put into action. About be still. That's active. That's what God's telling you to be. Be still. Wait on the Lord and he'll renew your strength. Patience comes through sometimes saying, okay, God, with your help, I will not speak the first thing that comes to my mind right now. Soft answers turn away wrath. Okay, God, I'll be patient. I'll say something kind here. Grievous words stir up anger. I'm patient, God, I'm intentional. I'm putting in my life. Um, I, 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 I often say this to be true too, it, it, it's a growing process. How many of you have become more patient the older you got? Would you slip your hand up? Um, how many of you say, as I became more mature, mature, grew in understanding, grew in the grace and knowledge of God, I got more patient with, pe with people? Say yes to that. Okay, then don't get impatient with a person that's 20 that's not being patient. You, you gotta say, okay, remember we're going back. I'm trusting God to do the work. I'm trusting God to finish the work. Not just in me, but in you. And so I got this intentional mindset as I continue to grow. And then I have this, lastly, obedience to the Holy Spirit. All right, how many of you have heard God say, this is what I want you to do? How many of you have ever got a clear vision of what you saw God wanted you to do? And it was exciting, but God never told you where or how or when. And what happens is we're like, now, now, now. We'll go to our church and believe me, I this to be true, and I mean this with every bit of the humbleness I can give you and kindness I can say. There are times that we have multiple people asking for major money to start ministries at the same time, and we don't even have it in the bank for ours. And they're sitting there, and they're saying, but if you would just give us $4,000, we could do this. And I'm like, if we only got $3,000 in the bank account, there's no way we can give you four. And you know what? They'll get mad, and they'll leave. Because they heard a vision of God, and they don't want a season of growth in God. They want it now. And I'm telling you right now, we can corrupt the plan of God by wanting it in our timing instead of being patient and waiting in his. And I'm going to tell you this now. The Holy Spirit will show you the what long before he shows you the how and the when. We've always said this. A lot of times you get the dream and the vision, then you get delayed, difficulty, and dead end. How many of you found that to be true? You ever woke up and said, I know our marriage can be better. Or I know that I, I, can, I can teach children in children's church. And then all of a sudden you go and you're like, honey, our marriage is going to get better. And then all of a sudden, five hours later, you're having an argument. And you're thinking you didn't hear God right. And the truth is you did. He showed you what could happen, but he's saying, hey, you're going to have to learn some things and change some things and do some things and grow individually. And there's going to be delay in this. Difficulty. How many of you, be honest, can, married couples, can we, can we admit something without starting an argument today? How many of you have ever wished that when it came to certain topics that you could be on the same page at the same time? And how many of you feel that sometimes one is like, an all in, let's go, and the other's like, well, wait a minute, have you thought of this? How many of you have ever felt like that? Yeah. Okay, stick your hands up again. Look around the room. Please don't get a divorce. Look at, look at all these people. It's a natural part. It doesn't make you bad. You know what I have found is if a brake only has a gas pedal but no brakes, I mean a car has a gas pedal but no brakes, 
we're in trouble. Which, by the way, can I tell some of you, your car does have brakes. <laughs> I've tried to keep up with some of you on the road. There is another pedal. <laughs> Use it. Freebie. There's areas of our faith and our life sometimes that I'll be all gas pedal and Jordan will be some brake. And I'm mad because I don't I get off the brake. But I should be glad because sometimes the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, pump him down, slow him down. He's dreaming and I'm thankful for it. But you can dream so much that you plan God out of the call. You miss the growth. You miss the training. You miss the things you need to be able to become equipped for the call. You got this? Right. 18-year-olds, listen to me. I know you love him, and I know you love her, but slow down. You don't have to get married the day you graduate. And let me, let me take an anti-cultural step. You do not have to move in together. You don't, but that's what my mom and dad, you don't. You know what I'm oftentimes telling people, and please, please forgive me for this, all right? Um, but don't at the same time, because I'm not going to stop. I often say, but haven't you seen the struggles mom and dad have had? Haven't you seen the difficulties mom and dad have had? Didn't you see the problem that happened when one parent wouldn't work for a year of their life? Now you're dating somebody that won't get a job. Wake up. Wake up. Like hit the brakes. You know what I've found in life? People love the prosperity gospel, but they do not like the patient gospel. They love that God's going to give you everything you ask for, name and claim. They hate the wait on the Lord to do something. And sometimes that might take a, a, a season of your life, sometimes a decade, sometimes five minutes. Sometimes it's a, a clear answer. There's other times in our life, Jordan's all gas pedal and I'm straight break. You know what I found in my life? That I gotta be thankful that God has put a balance. And you know what marriage is? You balance each other. You balance each other. For this cause, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. The two become what? One flesh. It doesn't mean the two change into being identical. The two are still individual with giftings and talents and abilities that they need to maintain. They need to grow. If my wife is dependent on our walk with God together as a couple for her spiritual growth, then she would be spiritually anorexic a lot of times because we are hindered a lot in doing our devotion together. She needs an independence with God. I need an independence with God. And our dependency should be on God with each other. How many of you understand what I just said? My wife does not need to be me. That's why we don't believe in this first lady of Grace Community Church junk. It's garbage. I'm sorry to all the first ladies out there. Her calling is polar opposite of mine. And there are times that I'm looking at her like, write a book. Write a book, woman. Your Facebook is awesome. There's times I'm like, Jordan, you can speak. You need to go speak. You need to go do this. And that is not her calling. You know what? She'll look at me and say every single time, I am not you. And that's such a good thing. <laughs> she doesn't say that. I added that. That. And now when I do weddings, say these two individuals become one, but they still stay the same. Their strengths and weaknesses balance each other. They complement each other. The goes, the stops, the slows, the go. When I can't hear God clearly in my life, I should be able to go ask my wife, what, what are you hearing God say? And I should be patient enough to know that like, I, I've got to wait on God because delay and difficulty and hardship's coming. But I can grow there. I can get stronger there. And I think a lot of times we want to see the results now. And here's what I'm going to tell you the truth. We say it all the time. If you have a need, finish it. Plant a seed. Plant a seed. 
Don't sit there and hope the ground's gonna grow something you haven't put into it. Don't expect your husband to become kind to you when you've been nothing but mean to him. And don't expect him or her to become kind to you when you've been nothing but mean to her. Plant a seed, just start showing kindness. And can I tell you what happens day one when you plant the seed? Sweat and tears. No growth. Matter of fact, if we study the germination of seeds, we realize that a seed has to die before it can live. What a thought. When it comes to our lives and as we're being patient, as we're waiting on God to do the work, sometimes we realize that we've got to let God kill us so that we can be raised to that new life that Jesus Christ has given us. For me to live is Christ. What did Paul say? I die to myself. What? Daily. And patience says, hey, I'm going to wait on God to finish this. I'm going to wait on God to use this. But I know that this may take seasons to grow, but in the season, I will be consistent. I will, I will parent my children consistently knowing that the terrible twos only last for four years. <laughs> and then you get a break and they become teenagers. And then they grow up and they have babies and you get payback. You spoil the grandkids, right? Load them up with all the things you told your kids they couldn't have. You don't realize it, neither do I, and I'm not going to finish this today, but gaining, gaining patience doesn't always come through this miraculous thing. It comes through difficulty. It comes through intentionality. It comes through a growth process. It comes through obedience to the Holy Spirit. I was told a story this week of a guy who was at the gas station and pumping gas, and all of a sudden, an old lady pulled in beside, and the Holy Spirit said, pay for the gas. And I, how many of you work very, very hard? Raise your hand. How many of you work hard? Whether, By the way, if you are a stay-at-home parent, get your hand in the air. You work very hard. Let's go. How many of you work very hard? Slip that hand in the air. All right. Um, it, how many of you realize that working hard, it's still hard to pay for certain things right now? Just a hand in the air. It's a bit expensive. And, 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 and so the first thing that goes through the mind sometimes when you have those moments is, it's difficult. They said they went and they told the person, they waited, the person started to go in the store and they said, ma'am, God's hit me really hard, I need to pay for your gas. The person got shocked, went back to their car and started pacing back and forth just in a little mini space and, and started saying, please don't fill it up. My van doesn't know what it's like to have a full tank of gas, you'll blow it up. A little statement. You know what they're saying is, my life is very difficult. They said the lady looked at them and said, I literally just scraped every dollar I had to go pay my light bill so that I could stay warm and my electricity wouldn't get sold. And the person, and I love this response, and this is how it should be, looked at them and said, well, then you've just confirmed what God was saying in me. And I knew that when you pulled in, this is what I was supposed to do. And now I know why. And here's the killer. Here's the, here's the go in. Leave it on a God high. Ready? And God has noticed you. They said the lady started bawling. Just gratitude filling the moment. Can I tell you what that is? That's a, that's a patience with God to say, okay, it's not about my bills. It's not about my things. It's not about all the stuff that I'm trying to figure out right now. Right now, there's a lady in front of me that your spirit is saying, minister to. You got this? And patience says, I will be obedient. Even when I don't see the results, even when I don't have it all figured out, even when I thought I was getting ahead today, but the only reason you blessed me today is because you overflowed my cup, not so that I could pour it into my 401k, but so that I could pour it into eternity. You say, how do I pour it into eternity, Pastor Josh? You pour it through another soul. You bless another person and you give God the credit. Patience says, I will trust you, God, even in difficult seasons. I will trust you, God, to be intentional with your word, be intentional with my growth, know that you're acting, know that you're responding, and I will trust that your blessings will come. I'm gonna spend great time with this, but I, I don't have time. Write these things down, ready? I want you to write the benefits, all right? Because a lot of times if we preach the benefits, that's all people want. So maybe God has this scripted on purpose, ready? What's the benefits to patience? Number one, write it down. I'm gonna go fast. Increased faith. That's what James teaches us, right? My faith is gonna grow as I become more patient. You know why? Because sometimes you, you, you actually allow God to do the work and it makes you believe in the work that God can do. 
You don't allow God to do the work. You've got nothing to believe in except yourself. And then when you let yourself down, there's nothing to believe in. Right? You got it? Say got it. Increased faith means I'm patient. Now, next time, I trust God a little bit more. I trust God a little bit more. With our building right now, this is the most patient I've ever been able to be in my life because I just got a feeling God's going to do something that we can't take credit for back there. And so instead of trying to make it happen, we're going to trust God with what's happening. And in the meantime, look at what God's done. Recovery homes started, land given and purchased, all these things that have come in. And it doesn't make sense, but God knows exactly what he's doing. He'll enlarge your coast as long as you allow him to be the one that's defining the coast for you. Be patient. Number two, stabilized temperament. I wrote this verse down, Proverbs 15, verse 18. I know you don't have time to go there. I'm just going to read it to you. A hot-tempered person starts fight. A cold-tempered person stops them. How many of you say, I am moody and emotional? Then we need to, we need to God, work on my patience. Number, number three, a deeper compassion and care for others. I want to see you succeed. I know you can succeed. And I will let God keep me in your life as long as it takes for you to succeed. Knowing that God will make you succeed. Patience with difficult people. Anybody can have patience with the easy ones. It's easy to love the people that love you back. But can you love the people that hate you right now? Can you do good to the ones that persecute you right now? That requires patience. Number four, a Christ-likeness. Would you agree with me that God was very, Jesus was very patient with Peter and Judas? Oh, y'all didn't amen as loud on Judas. Can you think of this? He knew Judas would betray him, but kept him at the table. You, you want a whole sermon? There's you one. You know they're going to hurt you, but you love them anyway. You know they're going to betray you, but you love them anyway. You know that they've got weakness in them, but you love them anyway. Christ-likeness. Number five, better relationships. Love is patient. Number six. Contentment. Romans 8, verse 25. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Contentment will unlock the possibilities of God in your life. Being satisfied where you are with what you have and who you're with will unlock joy like you've never known and peace like you've never experienced. So when we're not content, we become not patient and we try to gain more, be more, do more instead of saying, God, I'm thankful for what I have. I don't know about you, but right now, those are the two words. God, I want to wait patiently, but confidently because I know you're doing the work. You'll finish the work. You're going to use the work. You're doing the work. You're going to finish the work and you'll use the work. You're doing it in my life, finishing in my life, using my life. You're doing in their life finishing in their life, using their life. Patience is more than just being able to wait. Patience is being able to believe that there will be results on the other side of the season of wait. If you got it, say got it. Stand, grab somebody's hand. Let's close with a word of prayer. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Before you grab hands, let's ask one question today. One question, who in here would say, God, help me grow in my patience with you and others. Anybody else slip a hand in the air and say, that's me. God, help me grow in my patience with you and with others, with you and in others. Hey, by the way, can I close with one last statement? Be patient with you too. Let God do the work he needs to do in you. I could possibly do in my life today is go run three miles. You know why? Because guess how much I ran yesterday? Zero. And that yesterday repeated itself probably about 742 times. 
You say, but I want to run. Okay, run to your mailbox. You say, that's not far enough. Yesterday. Are you, are you with me? It's more than yesterday. You say, I want a great marriage. Compliment him. Compliment her. You say, but that doesn't do it. It's more than yesterday. You say, I want to run five miles. I want to run the race. I want to do this. Hey, stop thinking you can run a race. Just get to the mailbox. And then tomorrow, maybe let's go to the neighbor's mailbox. And then the neighbor beside that neighbor. And then let's just every day add a mailbox. And some days you'll feel like I'm not getting anywhere. But then there'll come a day that you've ran past every mailbox in your, in your neighborhood and you got to get on a different street. And I'm telling you right now, don't sit here and say, God, give me great faith. Just, no, no, no. Just get some today. Just pray today. Just talk today. Just listen today. Just get a, a podcast going today. You're saying, but that's not enough. It's more than yesterday. Be patient with where you are, knowing that God can take you from where you are, but get intentional in the growth you have in the patient season. If you got it, say got it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for who you are. May this plant in our hearts and minds and become fruitful and evident in our actions. May the way that we wait on you be just as much proof of our faith in you as the way we proclaim you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this believing. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.